Good morning. Thanks, Ann. Uh, I'm out, John. It's my lovely wife, Heather. We've been coming to TTC for a little more than 10 years. You'll often find us lurking over here on this side of the church. Come and say hi. Today we're going to read from uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 18, uh, verses 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, not 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient, he begged, and I will pay it back, everything. The, master, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Terwilliger Community Church. It's a joy to be together this morning. Um, If you would like a Bible to follow along in our teaching this morning, there's Bibles available at each of our ushers stations, so I encourage you uh, to head on over and grab one of those. Uh, Using a paper Bible is so much better than a phone, so I just encourage you to do that. We'll be uh, staying in Matthew 18 most of our time this morning, Um, but yeah, I just encourage you to follow along in our text. Well, these past few weeks, we've been talking about life together. This painting, this picture of the New Testament image of community. That we come together with all sorts of different backgrounds from all sorts of different places. And as we respond to the call to follow Jesus, we come and become this community. This community that Jesus has crafted and made. And in the last few weeks, we've been talking about various themes surrounding community. The idea that we have a common identity. We've been talking about the reality that um, as a community, we are a, a group of people who are different, and we want to celebrate our differences. And then last week, Pastor Quinn talked about how we should be a community of vulnerability, a community that is willing to share with one another our life experiences, our hurts, our pains, and our joys, and our sorrows. Now, all of this is a great in theory, is it not? And I think about this, this picture of community from the New Testament, and I get so excited about it. 
And I pray for us as a church that we could live into this uh, more and more and more. But there's a reality to community that sometimes we don't want to think about. It's a reality to community that while we don't want to think about it, it's something that each and every one of us have probably experienced. We talked about it a little bit in our first uh, talk in this series, but the reality that community is simultaneously the place where we will experience our, the greatest joys and healings in life, but it is also the place where we will likely experience our deepest hurt and our deepest pain. And so as we as a church desire to be this community that is flourishing, this community that is living into the New Testament vision of the church, there are some obstacles ahead of us, are there not? I think about my two little girls, uh, my, my daughter Hallie, she's just about two years old, and my daughter Libby just turned four this past summer. And even in the context of our home, which, you know, Jelena and I, we try hard to be good parents. We try hard to create an environment for our little girls where they will thrive and flourish and, and get along. And we'll send them down to the basement, and they're downstairs playing, and we're thinking, how great. They're just experiencing this wonderful community together. But it is not long until we hear shrieks of anger erupting from the basement because Hallie has stolen one of Libby's Paw Patrols and will not give it back. And Libby will erupt at her and run after her with tears and grab it from her. And now Hallie is screaming and Libby is screaming and mom and dad are running down the stairs to try to resolve the conflict between these two little kids. And even in that environment, we see community being a challenge. How much more so in our church? And when I think about the last few years, the global pandemic, and all that ensued, our community has been tested. Our community has been threatened. Our community has been challenged in ways that I don't think it has in the past. And when you think about your own life, I'm sure it's not difficult to think about people who have hurt you, people who have offended you. Maybe it's been a spouse, a family member. Maybe someone from church, a co-worker. Each and every one of us, I'm sure, have stories of hurt. Stories where someone has taken our vulnerability and used it to hurt us. Stories of people speaking out behind our backs. Stories of people cutting us off, maybe just in traffic, but maybe in our careers or workplaces. Stories of someone offending us, humiliating us. Stories of being left out. Stories of wanting to advance or move forward, but just getting pushed down over and over again by someone else. We all have these stories. And how do we react? Do we just choose to avoid people? Give them the cold shoulder? Do we choose to be bitterness? Do we choose bitterness and just hold something over someone? Do we choose to slander someone? To speak poorly about them. And we live in a time where it's not enough just to speak poorly about someone, but people seem to work hard to make sure that everyone else also speaks poorly about that same someone. Do we work to get even and do everything in our power to pay back that person what they have done to us? I believe we have all sorts of examples uh, in the world of different ways to deal with hurt from our past or our present. But we need to ask the question as a community, what did Jesus teach us to do? What was it that Jesus taught his disciples to do with the hurt that occurs in the context of relationships? Friends, Jesus instructs us to forgive. 
Jesus holds up forgiveness as the necessary response that we are to have towards those who hurt and offend us. Um, in my preparation for this message, I looked for very, I looked at various uh, definitions of forgiveness, and I landed on this one as one of my favorites. That forgiveness is the personal act to release the one who sinned against me from my personal right to collect on the moral debt or to pay him or her back for his or her offense. It's Dr. Gary Brashears, who lives in Portland. So when Jesus calls us to be a people who forgive, he is asking us to release the person who has wronged us, the person who has offended us, the person who has hurt us. He's asking us to release them from the moral debt that they owe to us, to not collect on what we feel they owe us for wronging us in the first place. That is not an easy thing. So our response to relational tensions is not to be giving someone the cold shoulder. It is not to be continually bitter or holding something over someone else. It is not to slander or gossip about someone. And it is not about getting even. Rather, Jesus says you need to release them from the debt that they owe you. That is what he's called us to. Is this always the way that we're to respond? Well, Jesus' Jesus's disciples asked that question. In Matthew chapter 18, we have Peter coming to Jesus and asking, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, this is an interesting question because in Jesus' day, there was conversation around how many times do you forgive someone? And the teaching of the day, the belief was that three is the adequate amount of times to forgive someone. How nice would that be? Just three times. And it's interesting because Peter's almost anticipating that Jesus is going to surpass the teaching of the rabbis. So Jesus, the other rabbis, they're saying we have to forgive three times. How many times do you say? Seven? Is seven times enough? Well, Jesus answers him, I say to you not seven times, but 77 times. Other translations, seven times, 70 times, seven times, 490. But the point that Jesus is making here is that it is an innumerable amount. Now, if you're like me, when you hear Jesus give a number, oh, seven, 77 times, it's like, oh, let's go grab a spreadsheet. Let's pull up a spreadsheet and do everything we can to keep track of how many times I forgive someone. And if I get to that 77th time, I can say to them, you be careful. You only got one straw left, right? No. The point that Jesus is making is we're not supposed to keep track. You cannot keep track. As you are, as you will be offended in life, as you will be hurt, as you are offended, as you are hurt, the call to followers of Jesus are to be people who give forgiveness over and over and over and over and over again. To prove the point, Jesus went on to tell this story. And he tells the story of this king who says it's time to go collect on the debts. This story is familiar to many of us. And he goes and he finds one of his servants who owe him 10,000 bags of gold or 10,000 talents, depending on your translation. Now, this was an interesting phrase uh, that I studied because it seems like commentators are divided on how much this actually means. Um, but they, when they bring it into our modern day, they're thinking around $2.5 billion, okay? This ridiculously large amount of money is owed to the king. And when we read about that, it's like, whoa, that is, this person has taken way more than they would ever realistically be able to pay back. And this servant reacts in that way, have patience with me, I will pay you everything. 
And out of pity to him, the master of the servant releases him and what? Forgives him the debt. But then we go on to to read that this this servant goes out and he finds one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. It seems this servant has worked through his two and a half billion dollars. I'm not quite sure how. But he wants to go collect on his debts. And so he goes and he finds this, this person who owes him money. We read that this amount of money is nowhere near the debt that he owed. But only a meager 100 denarii. Which, if we were to bring that again into our day and age, is about three months' wages. Now, three months of salary, let's say it's somewhere between fifteen dollars to $20,000. Given enough time, given enough opportunity, that's a very realistic amount of money uh, to be paid back. And what's interesting is in verse 29, the servant says to, this one servant says to the other, Have patience with me and I will pay you. If you look in your Bibles, you'll see that it is the exact same phrase that this first servant used in verse 26. Pleading for mercy, I will repay you. But verse 30, the servant says, absolutely not. He puts him in prison and demands that he repays the debt. While the servant was eager to receive forgiveness, he was not willing to give it out to another. This, of course, upsets the king. And the king says, you should have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had on you. And in verse 34, we read, in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers jailers, until he could pay back all his debt. So also, says Jesus, my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or your sister from your heart. Friends, we need to see ourselves in this story. That's what Jesus is trying to get at here. We, like that first servant, are those who owe an incalculable debt. Every time we choose to live our lives apart from God, every time we make a decision contrary to God's will, every time we ignore God and press into our own desires and wants without even consulting Him, the Bible calls that sin. And over our our lifetimes, we rack up this immeasurable debt, an amount that we could never pay back to God. And as Jesus tells this story, we are the ones who stand before a king begging for forgiveness and mercy. And friends, we know how the story goes, don't we? We are the ones who need grace and mercy from God. We are the ones who have received grace and mercy for God. God has responded to our debt and our rebellion, not with heavy-handed retribution, But he's responded to it with grace. He has sent his son Jesus, who died on the cross and paid the penalty for our sin. Friends, we have been forgiven the immeasurable debt that we owe to God. We've been forgiven that debt. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We now live in the possibility of of living into life abundant that God created us for. Our debt canceled. We have been released. So we need to see ourselves in the, in the story in that way. I think from this story as well, we need to see that as our incalculable debt has been forgiven, we must also forgive others. This is Jesus' response to Peter. You want to know how many times you need to forgive the person who offends you? Well, how many times has God forgiven you? Oh, that's a lot. 
How many times has God forgiven you? Is it three times? Probably more than three. Has God forgiven you more than seven times? Probably more than seven. Seventy-seven? Yeah, probably more than seventy-seven. Friends, the amount of times God has forgiven you, we are to forgive others. We forgive others. As commentator Michael Wilkins says, mercy experience will produce mercy. As we reflect on and appreciate and experience that forgiveness that God has for us, as we experience the mercy that God has for us, it should compel us to extend mercy to others. In this teaching as well, we need to see the hard truth that a refusal to forgive directly affects our relationship with God. Jesus says in this passage that, until, that he's put away until he can repay his debt. And Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is consistent with Jesus' teaching from Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer. And in the Lord's Prayer, we, we are given a framework not only to seek forgiveness from God, but also to give forgiveness to others. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus ends uh, the Lord's Prayer after, after delivering that to them. In verse 14 of Matthew 6, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I think there's a lot of mystery in this text. There's a lot of questions that it raises for me. But what we cannot deny is the reality that there is a direct connection between our unforgiveness to others and our relationship to God. There is a direct connection. And I can't help but wonder if some of us feel like God is distant. Some of us feel like something is off in our relationship with God. Maybe that first love experience of God that we had many years ago feels far away. I cannot help but wonder. Is unforgiveness putting a wedge between you and God? Jesus' teaching here seems very clear. That there is a direct connection between these two. And I think the other thing we get from this parable is that we are to be like Jesus and forgive from the heart. Forgive from the heart. Jesus is not simply interested in us giving off a small, well, I forgive you. He's not interested in us just rambling off the right words as if some sort of formula is going to bring reconciliation in a relationship. He wants us to forgive from the heart. To not just release the debt with our words, but to do it with the core of our being. Friends, I believe this is the moral of the story. That disciples of Jesus are to model the heart of God, which freely forgives. Over and over, forgiving as we have been forgiven. That is the call. I wonder if sometimes we struggle to forgive because we misunderstand what it is. I want to use the rest of my time this morning to talk a bit about what forgiveness is not, what forgiveness is, and then give us a bit of a framework for how we too can practice forgiveness. Um, one of the messages I listened to in preparation for this sermon was given by uh, Pastor Bethany Allen. Um, and in her message, she had this great framework uh, for what forgiveness is not. And it was very consistent with a lot of my other studies, so I'm going to use her framework here. 
First of all, we need to understand forgiveness is not forgetting. Maybe you've heard the mantra, forgive and forget, right? Forgive and forget. But we need to recognize that our memory is not something we simply turn off, right? How many of you have experienced something you wish you could forget and you simply cannot, right? I think all of our hands could go up on that. Our memory is actually part of our journey of forgiveness. Now, what do I mean by that? Where we would love to be able to simply forgive and forget and push aside whatever offense or hurt was done to us. Our memory is actually the place in which we work out our forgiveness. Which means we give forgiveness, but then when the memory brings back the hurt and the pain, we are once again invited to forgive. How many times must I forgive my brother? Three times? Seven times? Seventy-seven? No. Every time that memory comes back is an opportunity to forgive. Forgiving someone does not mean that we forget what has happened. Um, So forgiving is not forgetting. In addition to that, forgiveness is not a feeling. A lot of times we withhold forgiveness because we don't feel ready to forgive. We withhold forgiveness because the offense or the hurt is so great we cannot imagine forgiving the other person. But something I uh, quote, this actually my mom said this, that, that we often choose to forgive against our own emotions. I'm going to talk about why in a second. But we must not confuse forgiveness with an emotion. I think if we wait to feel ready to forgive someone, it is likely that we will never forgive them, right? Why? Because they hurt and offended us. That's not a fun thing. Our own emotions push against us practicing forgiveness. So thankfully, forgiveness is not an emotion. Thirdly, forgiveness is not saying that something is not a sin. When we say to someone that we forgive them, or if we forgive them from our hearts in a time of prayer before the Lord, what we are not doing is saying that the offense or the hurt was okay. We're not saying that a debt is not owed. We are not saying that they have done something wrong. When the king forgives the debt of the servant, he is not saying that there was no debt incurred. He's forgiving what was offended. He's forgiving what was incurred. Similarly, when we forgive others, we're not saying that what they did was okay. Forgiveness is not looking at the action and saying, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Forgiveness is not sweeping their behavior under the rug. Rather, when we are forgiving someone, what we're doing them, what we're doing, again, according to our definition, is releasing them from that debt. We're releasing them from our personal right to collect on that moral debt. And we're choosing not to pay them back for their offense towards us. I believe that part of the journey in forgiveness is coming to see the root cause of the sin against us. That the thing that led a person to offend or hurt us is in and of itself sin. And as followers of Jesus, we don't like sin. And the more that we forgive, the more we see sin for what it is. The more we hate the sin. But forgiveness is not saying that what they did was not wrong. And finally, forgiveness is not one and done. Forgiveness is not one and done. How many times do we forgive? (laughs) Friends, I really believe that forgiveness is a journey. That as we begin to forgive someone for an offense, it's likely, again, because it's not forgetting, 
over and over, these, these memories, these things are going to come back. And what we do with that is we keep forgiving. We keep giving it back to the Lord. We keep over and over again, recognizing that this forgiveness process is just that. It is a process, and we choose to forgive the person who has offended us. So if forgiveness is not forgetting, if it is not a feeling, if it is not saying something is not a sin, and if forgiveness is not one and done, what is it? Well, I think at its heart, forgiveness, as for believers, is surrendering to the justice and the mercy of God. When we forgive, we are surrendering the circumstance, the hurt, the offense. We're surrendering that back to God. We are letting go our desire for revenge. We are taking people off of our hook, in a sense, and putting them on God's hook. We're surrendering them and the situation to God. Uh, Bethany Allen says that, Forgiveness is the space where we declare by faith that God knows better. And in fact, not only that he knows better, but that he knows best. If we allow God to handle justice in a way that we never could, we will experience freedom and life in ways that we never could. One of the difficult journeys I find in life as a Christian is the ongoing surrender of knowing what's best. (laughs) So often we need to surrender our understanding. We need to surrender. We need to trust God that he knows better than we know. When we choose to harbor unforgiveness, when we choose to be the ones to declare what someone owes us and work hard to collect the debt that they owe us, be that emotional or whatever it is, we're declaring that we know better than God. But friends, the bitterness and the hurt and the chaos that that causes in our own lives is not one that we were ever meant to handle or carry on our own. Our unforgiveness puts us in a spot where we're trying to work justice, but we were not the ones who were meant to work justice in this way. That is God's job. So in the act of forgiveness, we surrender to the justice and the mercy of God. And we choose to say, God, I... I have this agenda for this person. I have this desire for this person. I want this person to suffer for what they did to me. But Lord, I'm giving them to you. I'm trusting them to you. I'm trusting that your justice and your mercy will reign. Forgiveness is also a practice and an act of obedience. I think oftentimes we choose To forgive against our own will. (laughs) Again, we don't want to forgive. Forgiveness is not easy. Timothy Keller, um, in an essay that he wrote on forgiveness, spends a lot of time talking about our resistance to forgiveness. And he points out that forgiveness is very costly. And just think about the parable that Jesus tells, that this king who goes to collect on his debts, he has a servant who owes him a billion dollars. And he forgives that. Well, that king just lost a billion dollars. That's ridiculous. But I wonder if that's not part of the point that Jesus is trying to make. That sometimes our forgiveness will seem absolutely ridiculous because it feels so costly. But Keller goes on to say that forgiveness is always a form of voluntary suffering that brings about a greater good. 
That when we choose to do the difficult and hard work of forgiveness, when we choose to practice forgiveness, sometimes against our own will, it brings about a greater good. And I think in this we see another attribute of forgiveness, and that is that forgiveness is an avenue to healing. Forgiveness is an avenue to healing. I remember one time uh, when I was on staff at camp in a supervisor role. At the, at the end of the summer, one of the staff came to me and said, Hey, Adam, I just want to talk to you for a second. I'm like, okay, great. And he goes on to tell me all these things he's forgiving me for. And uh, it was so funny to me because I was like, I had no idea I offended you. <laughs> but that moment wasn't about me. It was about him. And in his experience that summer, he had, there's been, there were things I'd said and things that I did in my imperfection. Forgive me for not being God. Um, but in those moments, I hurt this individual. And as part of their journey towards healing, they needed to forgive me. Now, I don't necessarily think that we always need to go to the person and tell them that we forgive them. But this individual felt it appropriate, maybe for the sake of this um, illustration a decade later. But... Um, Him forgiving me wasn't about me. It was about him. It was about the healing that God wanted to do in his life. Because when we sit in bitterness, when we sit in our pain, when we sit in the spot of demanding justice, demanding retribution, demanding that the other person gets what's coming to them, that person might not even know that they offended you. They don't even know they owe you anything. They don't know that they hurt you. But you're holding all of this inside of your heart, angry at them. And friends, anger and bitterness does not look good on anybody. So we need to see in forgiveness that it is an avenue to healing. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about forgiveness, that we need to be a community of forgiveness. In verse 26 of chapter 4, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Paul is making a direct connection between our anger and our bitterness and allowing the the devil, the enemy of our soul, to have access and rights into our lives and to work chaos. Don't be angry. Don't let your bitterness overwhelm you. Forgive, forgive, forgive over and over and over again. Don't allow unforgiveness to to wreak havoc in your own life. And he ends the chapter, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ forgave you. Echoing Jesus' parable from Matthew chapter 18. Forgiveness is an avenue to healing. Um, I couldn't find where this quote was from, so my dad said it. That's where I heard it first. Unforgiveness is like eating rat poison and hoping the other person dies. (laughs) A lot of you know my dad. uh, He's a good man. Um, I love that quote, though, because this is the reality of unforgiveness. We hold on to all of this stuff, and it makes a mess in our own lives. And we're holding it, thinking that somehow by holding it, the other person is going to get what's coming. But we were never made to carry that weight. We need to give it back. And what else is forgiveness? Forgiveness is exemplified for us by Jesus. Forgiveness is exemplified for us by Jesus. 
Friends, Jesus in Matthew 18 is teaching us to do what he modeled for us. And in Luke chapter 23, we read about Jesus' crucifixion. So the two others were criminals. They were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's interesting here when Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Who is he referring to? Well, it seems like Luke is pointing to these men at the foot of the cross who are casting lots to divide Jesus' garments. In Jesus' most vulnerable hours, when Jesus was exploited the most, when he was punished for crimes he did not commit, we have the picture of Jesus calling out for his enemies his abusers, the people who have hurt him. We have him calling out for for them to get what's coming? No. We have him calling out that, that God would send a legion of angels to just stop on them right in that moment? No, he could have. We have Jesus calling out that they would be forgiven. So friends, how do we practice forgiveness? How do we practice forgiveness? Forgiveness is interesting because there's this relational dynamic happening between two people. But when it comes to us practicing forgiveness, it seems to me, the more I've studied about this, that, that the actual practice of forgiveness is happening most between us and God. Not that we're forgiving God, but that we're forgiving others in the presence of God. As I said earlier, sometimes I don't think it's always necessary that we go to someone and tell them to their face that that we forgive them. Though sometimes the situation warrants that. But when it comes to us being a people who practice forgiveness, I believe we come before God and we sit with him in that place and we engage in the practice. Um, I have a prayer uh, for us here on the screen um, that I think is a great framework for us to use as we practice forgiveness. Um, this is also posted on the website. We've just launched a new part of our website under the resource tab. Um, and in, if you go to the resource tab, there's a section that says group resources. And in that, we're releasing every week community guides for you to use uh, to help you process uh, the sermons. And there's some reflection questions and different things there. Uh, but in that grouping of resources, I've posted this morning a, um, a forgiveness prayer. And so this will be available. What I'm saying is this is available on the website, so don't feel like you need to write it down right now. Um, but very simply, this is, this is how it goes. Father, I choose to forgive. Then you name the person. For, and you name the hurt. And the consequences that this has had over my life. When that happened, I felt, how did you feel? And I choose to release the name of the person into the freedom of my forgiveness and from my judgment. Releasing him or her from my judgment and demands and putting him or her into your just and merciful hands. In Jesus' name, amen. It's a simple prayer. But I want to emphasize to us that when we pray this prayer, it's important for us to actually spend the time with the Lord and sit in these memories, sit in the hurt. There's a reality that surface-level forgiveness will only lead to surface-level healing. But as we sit in a time with the Father and we, we think about the person who's offended us, who or hurt us, and we bring them before the Lord, and in that time, it's us saying to God, God, I, I release them. 
I forgive them. And who do we forgive? Well, I believe we need to practice forgiveness towards anyone that we have felt hurt or offended by. Anyone. Parents, teachers, friends, co-workers, a spouse, a fellow brother or sister in Christ, a pastor, a mentor. These are all people who we might find ourselves needing to forgive. I was very blessed uh, to grow up in a household where my parents were picking up on the practice of forgiveness uh, quite early um, in, in my life. And part of this journey for my mom and my dad was they were experiencing forgiveness, um, just working what felt like miracles in their own lives, breakthroughs in their relationship with God, healing emotionally, all sorts of things. And so I remember my mom, when I was a teenager, she would be so big on like, Adam, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? And it drove me crazy. But I am so grateful for it in hindsight, because I think about the kids who beat me up in grade school. And I think about the different groups of people in in junior high and high school who wouldn't let me into their groups. I think about the pain that was even caused uh, by my father, not intentionally, not maliciously, but just the reality that he's not God and the hurt that that had in my own life. But I know for a fact that the practice of forgiveness has allowed me to be in a place where I can think about all those people And all of those situations, and it does not hurt the way that it used to. God's brought healing and redemption to wounds that were cut quite deep in my life through the practice of forgiveness. And so we rightly ask the Holy Spirit, who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to forgive? And we need to also in this, sometimes we can belittle a situation We can say, oh, well, you know, that really hurt, but they didn't mean it. Or that that really hurt, but I don't think I need to forgive them for it. They they didn't mean much by that or whatever it is. Um, A huge thing that is so helpful for us as parents and in our marriages and everything is, is to realize that our perception is our reality. What you perceive in a moment is your reality. It might not be true in the truest sense of the word, um, but the, the offense that you perceive to come against you It hurt. Your perception is that someone hurts you. Forgive them. Don't try to justify avoiding forgiveness. Friends, there's one more layer of all of this that I want to visit before being done this morning. And it's just this this whole, the title of this message, a, a community of forgiveness. A community of forgiveness. As a church, As a people of God, we will not live into the New Testament vision that Jesus had for his church unless we are a community of forgiveness. When you look around this room, there might be people who have hurt you. When you look around this room, there might be people you have hurt. That reality is just one that is present because we are a community. We're together week in and week out. And in the context of the church, it is so easy for people to just leave one church and run to the other the moment that they're hurt. In the context of the church, it is so easy to be bitter or to slander or to do this, that, or the other thing towards the people that we feel are offending us. But friends, unforgiveness will cripple us in the area of community. Unforgiveness will cripple us in the area of mission. Jesus prayed that we would be one. 
And he recognized that the world will know that we are Christians for what? Our love. That when people look into this building, when they look at this community of people, do they see a group of people who are bitter towards one another, who fight and quarrel? Or do they look in and see a community of forgiveness? A community of vulnerability? A community where it's okay to make mistakes because you know that this community will surround you with grace. Paul made a big deal of this in 1 Corinthians when he was talking about communion. And we read it every month when we, we read Paul's, um, um, I, I pass on to the Lord, that's what he gave to, to me. That The night on he was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it. After that, he talks about taking communion in an unworthy manner. And the whole idea of taking communion in an unworthy manner is that we, you, we take communion, we partake of the bread and the cup while there's issues among us in the context of our community. Paul says, don't do that. Before you drink of the cup, before you break the bread, go and be reconciled to your brother and your sister. Those are the types of commands we'd rather ignore in the New Testament. <laughs> but friends, Jesus has invited us to be a part of a family. A community. One where in the midst of it we feel a deep sense of belonging. We feel love. We feel grace. We experience the presence of Jesus in the midst of our community, in our congregation. But it's not just an internal thing. He, he's created this community that's going to go out and change the world and transform communities and cities and nations. We will cripple ourselves in living into that if we do not become a community of forgiveness. I invite the worship team to join me on the platform and just go back to this forgiveness prayer. Friends, this morning, I want to encourage you. Who do you need to forgive? When you think about your own life, your, your journey with the Lord in this season, in this time, who has offended you? Who has hurt you? Who is the person and the scenario in which you lay awake at night thinking about? <laughs> Who is the coworker that you kind of wish would get what's coming to them? I'm just going to give us time, just to encourage you, pray through this prayer. Maybe it's the first time you've ever forgiven someone in this way. Maybe it's the first time you've forgiven the person or the offense that's coming to mind. But I just invite you. In this time, in this place, let's pray through this prayer. I'm just going to give us just a minute of quiet to do that. Father, we thank you for forgiving us. Lord, that you have not stopped at forgiving us at three times or seven times or 77 or 490. But Father, your forgiveness to us has endured and will continue to endure. 
your grace, bringing to us what we do not deserve. And so, Jesus, we pray this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Help us, Lord Jesus, to trust you with justice and mercy. And Lord, as we think even about this past year and just the the social wars that seem to have been raged in our country, the division, the polarization over vaccines and masks and the families and the friends that have, where brokenness is, is just so present right now. Friends who haven't spoken over a disagreement relating to policy. Lord, we think about in our own lives just how many opportunities there are every day for us to feel hurt, for us to feel taken advantage of, and the hurt that results from that. Lord, in the midst of all of this, we pray that you would help us to be people who forgive as we have been forgiven. Give us the grace to do that, Lord Jesus. Give us the strength to do that. And Jesus, for some of us this morning, perhaps this is the beginning of a journey into forgiveness. And I pray, Lord, that you would guard that. And Lord, as we engage in this practice, may it work healing and transformation in our lives, Lord Jesus. And Father, we of course thank you. We thank you for your forgiveness and work in our lives. Lord, help us to receive that this morning, we pray. Amen.